Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. is an idea that recently really got my creative energy fired up and back on track and I want to share it with you today. It's a counterintuitive idea. It's kind of a upside down idea and it's this that finding your people is half of the journey to finding yourself. This idea that finding your uniqueness might start with finding your sameness. I know what you're thinking, okay, Yoda, uh, but what does it actually mean? To set it up, I wanna share a story that I've mentioned here on the podcast that I'd like to do a deep dive into for an entire episode. So there's this random YouTube clip of uh, George Carlin being interviewed. Comedy legend George Carlin. And he talks about how did he become this legend, this game-changing comic that we all know and or love and or hate, depending on your point of view. Uh, How did he become this singular voice in the comedy world? Regardless of if you agree he's he's a... 
you know, a great in the comedy world, you can't deny that he had an enormous impact uh, and, and that he became a complete legend in that field. And he talk, tells the story of how he found himself, how it really got good in his comedy career path. Uh, and he tells this story about having an entire career deeply inspired by his hero, his, his creative model for success, Danny Kay. And he's even has a full career. He's on TV on the Ed Sullivan show coming out in a suit and tie doing this mainstream culture comedy. Now, anybody that knows George Carlin today, what we know him for is that he's not mainstream culture. He's counterculture. He's anti-establishment. He's a rebel. But where did that come from? Well, one day he decided he's going to go up and be himself. And he brings this cardboard cutout of himself in a suit and he throws it off stage and he says, that guy's dead. Meet the new George Carlin. And that was the day that his Art was born as we know it. Now, when you bake a loaf of bread and you put it in the oven and it rises, you might ask yourself, what caused the rise? The obvious answer is the oven. But you know and I know that it's not the oven. It's the Yeast that you put in, that you knead into the bread before it even starts to bake. And it's easy to have the takeaway of George Carlin's career be, be yourself. I think he might even say it himself. And so many artists know that they didn't reach their inflection point. They didn't start to rise until they started to own their uniqueness. And it's why there are so many platitudes, there's so much advice in the creative world that tell you, please quit trying to be like somebody else. Be yourself. And yet, I'm not convinced that being yourself is the cause of the rise. I'm convinced that there's some yeast in the equation that we're not really talking about. I believe the yeast that will cause you to rise, the path to finding yourself as a creative starts by finding your people. I believe that the yeast that caused George Carlin to rise wasn't the choice to be himself, but it was the foundation of finding his people, of knowing his heroes, and probably connecting with his peers and his protégés. I believe it was the season of his career of being like his hero, Danny Kay, that laid the foundation for the thriving creative practice that we know that he had today. I was listening to an episode of Andy Richter's podcast. He's the co-host of the Conan O'Brien show over the years, but he has a new podcast. His first episode is with someone who I am a major fan of, Abby Jacobson, and uh, she's from Broad City, one of the co-creators of Broad City and co-stars. 
And uh, they were talking about her creative path. And she said that, you know, she went to art school at Micah. She went for illustration. And then she moved to New York and she took some dramatic acting classes. But when she found UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, the improv group, she quit the drama classes and she went all in into UCB. It's where she ended up finding her comedy writing partner, Alana Glazer, and everything changed from there. And they were both kind of talking about, you know, from the perspective of people that have these thriving creative careers, that finding your people is half of the journey to finding your creative success. Like that's half of the deal, man. And if you take that seriously, if you will invest in relationships in the people that are like you, the people who quote unquote get it, if you start defining what does it mean to get it and start kind of in a calculated, intentional way, search those people out, I believe that you're going to be halfway on the journey to finding that rise. You're going to start to unleash new, fresh fire in your creative career like I did just recently. I started going through the processes that we are going to talk about on this episode, and I went from feeling apathetic about what's going on in my creative career to feeling completely set on fire. And so I want to go through some of the things that I've been doing recently to help codify and clearly define who are my people, where are they, how do I connect with them, how do I spend more time with them, how do I learn from them, so that I can find myself in my creativity in the next chapter of my practice. Does it sound good to you? Are you ready to roll? Let's do it. Let's go to the first thing you got to do to embrace this principle of finding your people so that you can ultimately find yourself. Let's do it. First thing you gotta do is the apples to apple shortcut. Don't compare your apples to oranges. If I did a fruit lineup, you know, like one of those times where you go into the police office and they I don't think it's called a police office <laughs> police officers at the police station you go in there there's the lineup and you got to say that's the man that stole my baguette uh, ever happened to you even if it didn't I'm sure you've seen it on TV before but imagine you go into a police office baguette lineup and all instead of criminals in front of you, they line up different fruits. So you got a banana, a kiwi, an apple, an orange, a uh, what's another fruit? Don't tell me. Uh, tomato. Oh, you didn't see that coming in your face. Tomatoes are fruits, but let's not for the purpose of this. Let's ruin it. Let's just say it's a banana, an apple, a kiwi. And an orange. And they said, they pointed to the apple and they can say, and they say, what's different about that fruit? You're gonna say something surface level because they're all so different. You're gonna say, um, it's red. See how the tomato was gonna ruin it. But you, you'd say, it's red. They pointed to the orange. What's different about that one? Orange. Like, 
Yeah, we know it's an orange, but what's different about it? Um, <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. Uh, but you'd say something skin deep, right? Or not even skin deep, surface level. Just something about the color because they're all so different. It's hard to really even, you know, go beyond that. And if you compared me to my brother, you know, the first thing you might say is this guy likes art and that guy likes sports. But that's not anything unique about us as humans. There are millions of people that like art. There are millions of people that like sports. And yet, if you set me up next to a handful of public speakers that lean into storytelling practices with a little bit of humor, my people, you compared us. All of a sudden, you're comparing apples to apples, baby. We got a Fiji apple, a jazz apple, a pink lady, and a Honeycrisp. And I said, what's different about the Honeycrisp? And you start getting into the nuance, the je ne sais quoi of what's different about this apple to that apple. And all of a sudden, you're not surface level. You're not skin deep. You're going deep into the DNA, the nuanced difference between this person and that. And when I am around people that are a lot like me, nearly exactly like me, all of a sudden, the tiny nuanced difference between me and them starts to become evident. These people that I saw myself so clearly in uh, have these really obvious differences. And you can imagine that, let's say, me and my brother share 97% the same creative DNA, but we compare me to one of my heroes or one of my peers, and we say, we've got 99.5% the same tastes, the same sensibilities, the same passions, the same things that light us up as a creative, and yet... Once I understand them, all of a sudden, instead of understanding 97% of myself, now I understand 99.5% of myself, and I just got to figure out the 0.5 difference. You see how there's a shortcut there. If you will lean into and get to know people, creatives who are like you, that know themselves better than you know yourself, they will be able to take you halfway up the mountain. And so start getting around people that are a lot like you and you'll start comparing apples to apples and you'll start noticing the influences that you have that they don't have the experiences that you have that they don't have the disagreements the the differences in point of view that will help you define what's unique about your point of view and i think this apples to apples idea gets to the bottom of why finding your people is half of the journey to finding yourself Now, let's talk about an activity that you can actively do. We're going to talk about mapping out your people. I didn't just say that wrong. I'm serious. I'm very serious about people. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in one second. Let's go. Number two is map out your people. Uh... (laughs) I like saying that to people, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second. But before I do, I was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing Dave Ramsey. Okay, first of all, I feel the need to qualify why. Uh, I find Dave Ramsey to be a very interesting 
market model for someone like me, for someone who could not be more different to Dave Ramsey. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to learning business and learning uh, that side of the creative practice, I try to be, you know, not judge a book by its cover or, you know, kind of even take what I need and what works for me and leave what doesn't. So I try to be non-judgmental about um, people that have a completely different style or, or even a point of view. I feel like you can learn a lot from people who don't share your point of view. Um, and anyway, so I was listening to, that's my huge explainer on Dave Ramsey. He's an interesting character, um, that's for sure. But, uh, and he's kind of scary to a squishy artist like me. Anyway, uh, Dave Ramsey was talking about how he had these, they, they have these business experts that over the years have helped them codify what it means to be one of their people, what it means to quote unquote, get it. Oh, they get it. That's why we hired them. But they get it is such an intuitive process that they were finding that they were often not hiring people that really got it. But as they use the insight of these business experts to codify and explain what this je ne sais quoi was, I wish Dave Ramsey said je ne sais quoi, that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> je ne sais quoi. I don't, that's <laughs> weird Dave Ramsey impression. That's not an impression at all. Um, but they helped explain with principles and facts and figures and ideas, what does it mean to be one of our people? And so I've been doing this recently. And like I said, this process in particular got me fired up about my creative practice again, because the first step defining your people is starts with what excites you most about creativity today in this next season. It doesn't matter who your people used to be. People change, people grow. Your what excited you about creativity 10 years ago probably doesn't do for do it for you anymore. Especially if you're like 22 because if when you were 12 you're probably just pumped about, you know, uh, where you get a sheet of paper and you get crayons and you do this big abstract rainbow kind of thing and then you cover it in black crayon and then scratch the black crayon off. That's probably, well, come to think of it, that does still kind of excite me. Maybe I'll do one later, show my kids. I've never shown them that. There's so many things I haven't shown my children. But what excited you 10 years ago probably isn't doing it for you now in all seriousness. And for me, that's totally true. Recently, you know, I've been doing this practice and I started thinking about what creative ideas and craft and practices get me out of bed in the morning? And it's stuff right now, it's about storytelling. It's, it's the craft of storytelling. It's Dan Harmon's writing circle. It's, it's a, a story circle. It's, it's Christopher Vogler. It's these ideas like a great ending needs to be surprising yet inevitable. And you know the three acts need to follow this kind of thesis, antithesis, synthesis process. And you got to figure out how do you get the loop so it all fits together like... I'm obsessed with storytelling and I start thinking about, you know, what it feels like to write something that really works on the page and then perform it in front of people that there's nothing that does it for me like that. And I started thinking about the conversations that I've had with peers that got it, man. When I talk about Dan Harmon's writing circle, story circle, they're like, Hey, 
you should check out this. And I'm like, yeah, that thing's doing it for me. And all of a sudden, there's all this creative energy happening between me and my people. So it starts with saying, what, what gets you excited? What's the thing that's doing it for you right now? And who do you know does that do it for as well? And we're going to list out three different groups of people. You're pa people because it's three P's, P-P-P-L, people, um, the paragons, the peers, and the protégés. Paragon is like another word for hero, but it starts with P. So it works in our little uh, thingy here. Um, paragons. Paragon means the perfect example, the ideal of your creativity, of the thing that gets you out of bed. Who's the person that embodies this more than anybody? For me right now, uh, it's Mike Birbiglia. Mike Birbiglia, he's a stand-up comic, but he also puts on these one-man shows, like he did a one-man show on Broadway. It's on Netflix now, and it is the thing. It's the thing that I'm like, that, that's what I want to do. There's, a, And it's not... I don't want to be a stand-up comic. It's the storytelling part. It's the one-man show part. It's the it's uh it's this obsession with good storytelling and what that means and the definitions of that and getting nerdy. Your people will want to get nerdy on the same things that you nerd out on in creativity. Who's the paragon? Who it might be? I've listed uh, three. I'll say Hannah Gadsby. Uh, Mike Birbiglia and Russell Brand are all people that are starting to explore uh, not just stand-up comedy, but this thing that me and my buddy Kyle Sheely, who happens to be one of my people, are calling Lay Down Tragics. I highly recommend, as you're going through this process, name the subgenre. Give it a name. If you're super excited about it, it's probably something that's happening now that there's a new take on and these three people embody you know they were all people that were used to be doing comedy in a pure form and they've started to explore what does it look like for the punchline to be tears instead of laughter because you're doing the storytelling right and you're feeling meaning making that storytelling can do unlike any other creative practice so start to define who are the paragons of this creative practice that gets you excited. Then start naming your peers. Your peers can be people you know, but they can also people be people, people that you don't know. It can be people that you need to know, that you need to get to know, but they're people in the same position as you now. And I listed out a handful of those people. Some of those people I need to make an effort to connect with. Some of those people are already in my life. If you don't have those people in your life, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but you've got to start investing in those relationships. I'm not sure. It's it's highly unlikely, actually, that you will see the creative practice success that you're looking for if you don't start investing in those relationships. Those intimate conversations that you have with your people are going to be the thing that unlocks knowledge about how you're not a Honeycrisp, you're a Fiji. We all want to be Honeycrisp, I know, but you're a Jazz, you're a Macintosh, what can I say? But you're not going to be able to find those differences if you're comparing yourself to bananas, you got to get around them. Protégés, this comes with a little hack, okay? 
proteges are the people that uh, you may be are educating the people that you're uh, that are a few steps behind you that were where you were a few years ago. And the little hack that I want to share with you, a little side tactic and marketing that I've been thinking about is instead of going for the paragons or the or or going to the outlets and publications that could give you a leg up and desperately trying to worm your way in with some kind of fancy footwork, fancy email work, you know, trying to get on their good side. What would it look like uh, instead to, instead of giving all your effort to one of these outlets, one of these blogs, one of these magazines, one of these uh, podcasts, whatever it is, what if you instead gave split that effort into 10 and approached people that were just a few steps behind you? What if you take that influence that that big paragon has and cut it into 10 and find 10 people that have a 10th of the influence and pour your energy, not in, not just to marketing yourself to those people, but becoming valuable and interesting and exciting and helpful to those people. That has been uh, one of the things that was an accident from this podcast, I never realized that, you know, instead of trying to become influential with and connected with the people that were 10 steps ahead of me, trying to connect with the people that are five steps behind me and pouring time and energy into that. And they became the biggest brand evangelist for Andy J pizza that could ever walk this earth. And so instead of trying to be on one podcast, that's 10 times ahead of you, what if you were on 10 podcasts that were 10 times below you? And below is a gross, disgusting word, you sick freak, Andy. Um, that are on, a, on, a, on a, uh, an earlier part of the journey, the life cycle that we're all on. Okay, that's map out your people. For me, this was a true north. This process, I redid it recently. It centered me in my creativity. It helped me find where do I need to be spending my energy? Who do I need to be spending more time with? Who do I need to connect with? And who? And what am I excited about? Because I started to get to what I was excited about. I started to go back through conversations that I've had over the past six months that lit me up. And I feel like if you can codify not just the je ne sais quoi of this creativity, the je ne sais quoi that Dave Ramsey said, that's not him. Um, but if you can start going, filtering back, combing through the past conversations that blew you away, that got you excited. You know, what were the podcasts that you heard someone talking about a type of craft, a type of creative trick that you were like, oh man, that's doing it for me. That registered on the deepest levels of my creative taste buds and it lit me up. Start mapping that out so you can codify it so it's not just an intuitive shot in the dark thing. And it's something that you can start leaning into on purpose by mapping out your people. All right, the third thing you gotta do to get next to your people and start finding yourself is use Bacon's Backdoor. Bacon's Backdoor is uh, is the 
you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon idea where if you take an actor, you can do like six degrees away to someone that was in a Kevin Bacon movie. And we're going to use this same process to start mapping out potential connections that you don't even realize that you have. So John Acuff, who is like a self-help writer, did a book called Do-Over, and it's about a career do-over. And I love this book because it's also about a career pivot. And I believe that in order to find yourself, to find that baking bread rise of a creative career inflection point that we're all looking for, for me, it's been a series of pivots, a series of trial and error tests of hypotheses over time that have got me closer and closer to that elusive sweet spot in my creative career. And that's why it's not just about do-overs, but it's about pivots. It's about how do I get, oh, I used to be excited about this, but actually I think I'm more excited about this. How do I get closer and closer to those people? You know, I've talked about a lot on this podcast recently, Andre 3000, uh, his interview that he did with Rick Rubin on Rick's, uh, Rick's. Wouldn't it be awesome if I could just call Rick, Rick? Um, <laughs> Rick Rubin. I wish I was on that that uh, first name basis with that kind of that legend. Um, but uh, on their podcast, I think it's called On the Record. They talked about all of the struggles and how Andre three thousand over the past ten years has not made a record and he's been stunted and stuck. And I wonder if it's because he's been isolated from his people. He's been put on a platform as this lone genius instead of what Brian Eno talks about, the senius, this idea of the genius of a scene because he was formed in the dungeon, the basement with his friends from Mob Deep, CeeLo Green, uh, Dungeon Family, Big Boy. Like these people were these pu people, if you will, were intermingling and and cross pollinating these creative passions. And I wonder if he needs to read the book John Acuff's Do Over uh, and start doing the practices. John Acuff in that book talks about getting a stack of note cards and just literally listing every single person that could potentially help you move into this next pivot of your career. And I actually recommend you do it differently. The activity that I would like you to do to start taking some action here is a spider diagram. So start with you in a little circle and write your name. I'm waiting. Let me just write Andy J Pizza in a little circle, okay? Then map it out. Who are the people that you know in your creative career today, some of the people that are the most influential or the people that are closest to you, and then start mapping out who do they know that you don't know. And just slowly but surely, for me, I started to find some back doors into connections with my people. You don't even realize who you know. That's John Acuff's point with this, that there are people who know your dad. There are people who know your mom. There are people who know your old boss, that these people would be happy to make an introduction for you and to be blown away. You're only a few degrees away. You might only be six degrees away from your paragons of creative career success. And so start mapping that out. You know, 
to connect with these people. It's going to take some energy, even maybe some money. But I want to encourage you not to see those things as a cost. My buddy, Andrew Nyer, he's uh, been one of my people since day one of my creative practice. And recently we were talking about, he's very obsessed. He's like obsessed with Toyota's uh, lean manufacturing where there's this obsession with cutting out the waste from your processes. Like down to, I don't know if you've ever heard of lean manufacturing, but they had these theories about how to run a factory and you get down to the steps that people take like literal footsteps and getting the right path so that you can cut out every single bit of waste and be this finely tuned completely oiled machine that works with extreme efficiency and it's a brilliant thing if you like that kind of thing to me it sounds like torture but my buddy Andrew who I know is obsessed with cutting the waste does so many things you know that that seem like waste because on Fridays he'll take his staff of a handful of people and they'll take the day off and they'll go on field trips he'll he'll invest in these people and for him the cost of these employees the cost of these field trips they're not a cost they're an investment and they're two different things a cost is a waste an investment is something that makes tomorrow less of a waste and these connections with people prioritizing them in your creative practice it will cost you something but it isn't a waste it's an investment an online class uh coaching connections with teachers auditing a class going to a conference paying a you know i have a buddy who paid a agent or a a music manager a one-time fee instead of you know agreeing to sign them on as an artist just came up with a fee said hey i'll pay you this much money just to go sit with me and, and and have a lunch and it wasn't money that he had a, a plenty of but he wasn't seeing it as waste he was seeing it as an investment and he was betting on himself and it's gonna ta- take some investment to start building these relationships. Every strong relationship you have in your life today cost you something, but I can guarantee you they don't feel like a waste. If you're into kids' books, go figure out the SCWBI, I think it's called, something like that. Where are the meetups, the local chapters? You might have to, it'll cost you driving three hours. It'll cost you a vacation day. It'll cost you a personal day. Where the If you're a podcaster, where are the podcast meetups? If there aren't any in a three-hour radius of your home, start one. Your people are right in your backyard. It's going to cost you some vulnerability. It might even cost you some money. Pull your Christmas present money. Use your birthday money. Start saving up and go to that conference and start making those connections. If you don't get around your people, if you don't find them, you may never find yourself. So I just want to leave you with one more thing about how finding your people is half the journey to finding yourself. For the first half of high school, I tried to be the coolest kid in school, man. I was so desperate to be seen as the cool kid, the most unique, interesting kid in the whole school. Now, 
you probably went to high school, so you know that the kid that was super desperate to be cool was whatever the opposite of cool is. Uh, there's nothing less cool than trying to be cool, and that was the first two years of my high school experience. So, surprise, surprise, this plan made me nothing but depressed. When I finally hit lonely rock bottom and I gave up, on being the special one, I just started to hang out with the other art kids. I just started to hang out with the theater kids. I started to hang out with the kids that I knew that worked at the cinema that I worked with, AKA my people. And I quickly realized, like quickly, in, in just a few weeks, my complete social group, my complete attitude, my complete life had been changed by embracing my people instead of trying to be a unique, special person. I realized I didn't need to be special to everyone. What I was really looking for was being special and unique and valuable to the people that I found to be unique and special. The first half of my creative career, I was so driven by ego and status. I wanted to have the best, most special clients on my client list. Those were my goals. But now, I believe that art and creativity is less about how unique I am and how special I am. And it's more about what I have in common with my people. The people who value the things that I value about creativity. That... I have this counter-cultural, controversial opinion about creativity that it's less about how we're unique and it's more about what we have in common. The things that happen when a group of people that all like the same kinds of things get together and start trying to make more of that stuff, woo, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And realizing that has caused my goals to completely change. My goals are less about ego. They're less about me being a special, unique unicorn. And they're more about getting to spend time with more people who I just want to be around. You know, recently I found my goals to be, uh, you know, rites of passage. How do I get into the groups of people that are the most interesting to me? I think about Judd Apatow. His goals aren't to have such a blowout, massive box office success. He's a director and comedy writer uh, of movies. And his goals aren't to win Oscars. His goals are to make movies that do well enough that allow him to make more movies. Why? Because those are the people he wants to spend time with. He wants to spend time with the comics that light him up, that make life worth living. And as my career has changed and I've grown, I've realized that the goals that are the most pure fuel for me are the ones that are relational. Jerry Seinfeld always talks about how his only goal as a stand-up comic in the early days was to quote-unquote be one of those guys, a.k.a. be around those people that get it from his point of view. And I see now it wasn't the ego of the stand-up comic title that he was talking about. It was about making his people, his favorite people, the people who were special to him, really laugh. 
When your goals shift this way and you quit needing the accolades that stroke your ego and you start creating two and four relation, relational purposes, when you start seeing yourself in your people, I promise you, you will start to truly and really see yourself for the first time. There are so many things in my recent creative career that people see as the most me. You know, I have this uh, creative pep talk booth. It's behind me. It's creative pep talks for five cents. It's based on Lucy from Charlie Brown, her psychiatric help uh, booth. And I set that up in a creative marketplace where people are selling their wares and I and I created this really ramshackle cardboard pep talk booth and the reason I did that is to impress my buddy Kyle Sheely who's one of my people every time I say that I cringe uh but I I came up with that idea because I thought he's gonna get a kick out of that and I also came up with the idea I have this talk that I give where I go on stage and I pretend that I'm not going to give a talk and that I'm kind of bored of this whole thing and I'm giving up illustration and podcast just to go play Zelda Breath of the Wild full time and I plug in my Switch and I play in real time with my Switch to prove a point as an illustration. But the reason I came up with that is because I was speaking at a conference that my buddy Kyle was speaking at and I thought he would get a kick out of it of that type of storytelling. And these are two things that people see as some of the most quintessential parts of my creative practice over the past couple years, and I wouldn't have done them. I wouldn't have seen them in myself had I not seen and found my people. And I believe that if you'll practice some of the things that we talked about in this episode, if you'll start leaning into and taking the uh, journey of finding your people as, as a primary pursuit in your creative career, that that yeast is going to start to see your creative practice rise because finding your people is half the journey to finding yourself. Hey, if you run a conference or you work at a school or you have a team that you need to bring some pep to, we are taking applications for me to come talk, uh, even potentially bring my pep talk booth and my merch table and do a Q&A. We also have options for workshops to run through my creative career path handbook, step-by-step and kind of a group coaching set a setting. Uh, we even do... For corporate teams, we're doing workshops where we help your team work through the creative career path, find out who you are, find out what you value and what you want as a team, and help build a team personal project as a proof of concept to show the uh, people up over you where you want to take the thing, where you know your team should take the thing in the next Uh, season of your company. So go apply creativepeptalk.com slash pepstop. If you 
want to bring the pep to a place, to a venue near you, or maybe you just know a venue in the area and you think there's enough people to sell tickets to have me come pep you up, put some pep in your step, go to creativepeptalk.com slash pepstop. We're collecting those and we are building out the tour for 2020. Act now. Spots are filling up fast. Uh, we got a ton of submissions for that. Also, we got a ton of submissions for um, the one-on-one coaching, so much so that it's kind of overwhelmed us and we're trying to figure out how to get through all that. So stay tuned for that. Your submission has not been ignored or misplaced. We're just trying to figure out how to deal with that volume of submissions and and figure out what our game plan is on that stay tuned uh thanks to all of you for listening to this show i hope that it brought you so much pep that you could barely stand to listen to the rest of this episode because you were so desperate to take some action and make some stuff uh thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for our theme music Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. You can listen to the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack volume one on Spotify uh, and Apple Music. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for audio assistance. And thanks to all of you for showing up every week. And until we speak again, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. 